0: Yeah. yeah, old school, that's what I'm talking about Listen, this ain't for everybody Some of y'all need to hear this I know you're in the trenches fighting But check it out I'm gonna put it down like this so I can help the saints understand Everything you're going through, is all part of the master plan Or what, you thought cause you got saved everything was gonna be peaches and cream You better wake up son, don't nothing come to sleeper, a of what I drink Faith without works is dead, read your Bible, you know what it says he who don't work don't eat, blackers don't get fed huh? Yeah, Jesus said he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit Some of y'all ain't been in the pictures five minutes and you about ready to quit I ain't mad at ya, I'm just hitting you with the real huh? If you died for me I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel Check this out, deep game, this his deep huh? Some of y'all ain't sawin' nothing but you're trying to reach huh? But after him who was able to position your father's by his glory Struggle might be part of your testimony but it ain't the end of the story now, the point sisters was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. I know we can
1: relate.
0: to describe you you say why you but your church say what would Jesus do why you asking if he ain't trying to do what he's saying? Huh? He told you he was going to have tribulations, but you thought he was playing. Huh? One minute you tell her how good God is and can't nobody beat to talk. The next minute you back fight so fast, I'm like you're moonwalking. Huh? Oh yeah, I it to myself because I ain't no better. Huh? It ain't like I've been following his every word, obeying it to the letter. But so we told us, we got to remember that. Regroup, stay on point. Hey, yeah, Bow down, confess, repent, stay humble, let him anoint. Huh? It ain't easy as I thought it was, I'd be lying if I told you that. But it showed up getting better all the time, trust me, that's the fact. Ain't nothing we going through that can't be handled. got put that on this sub. Like they say, you can shout now if you walk to, cause the battle's already won. So while you're going through the valley, don't even show. You're gonna be on top. Quiet, the hook line one more again. That's tell you don't stop. I know we can
1: make it. We can make
0: I it. I know we'll Yeah,
2: we gonna pump the brakes right there, everybody. Cause I know we gonna make it, cause the Big Boy Upstairs said we can. This is your host, Lamont K. Dizzle, the elixir love, Patterson, and you're listening to Can a player play? Welcome, welcome. Had to give one minute to big boy. It's my belief, and I hope it is yours, too, that uh, he's going to help us make it this thing that we call life, you know, this journey with all these trials and tribulations. Because if you look out the window right now, it's a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on, you know. But um, I know we can make it. I know we can make it we we'll sit back, let the windows down, turn the air conditioning up. You know, we've got a great show lined up for you, as usual. Um, we're going to be talking about a subject everybody don't want to talk about but need to talk about because it's live and relevant, prevalent in everybody's life and everybody's neighborhood, um, around the block. People don't talk about stuff they really need to be talking about, but, you know, this is the kind of show right here. And we're going to talk about everything that's important in life. Uh, we have this gentleman, Mr. Joshua Shea, going to be joining us. And um, we're talking about he's a porn addict. Now what? And that's a great question, but we're going to let Mr. Shea give us the answer to that question. Let me see. Let me see if he's in the building. How are you doing,
3: Joshua,
2: are you with us? I'm great. How, am, doing, how are man? you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. <laughs> I'm fine.
3: Fantastic. Man. And you were you right that it's a lot of crazy stuff outside the window, because where I am right now, it's a mix of rain and sleet and ice and snow. It's, uh, it is crazy out there.
2: Uh, well... I guess, climate control, I mean, what are they doing, man? What are they doing? What's going on? You know, it's crazy, man. When you you think about it, you know, there's a lot of places. I mean, when I was younger, man, we had real summers, winter, uh, fall, you know, spring. I mean, we really know, you know, what was going on and when. nowadays, you don't know what's going on from day, one day to the next.
3: Absolutely, especially here in Maine where uh, I was looking at the weather report and, Today, it's all this stuff falling from the sky, and tomorrow it's supposed to be sunny and in the 60s. So, you know, who who knows?
2: Wow, wow. Well, Joshua, let me get a minute and let me introduce you. Uh, today, we got Mr. Joshua Shea, who's a recovering uh, pornographic addict and a pornographic addiction expert. Prior to his addiction, Joshua was a prominent magazine publisher, award winning journalist film festival founder and politician in central Maine. As his 20-year addiction was reaching a critical level in late 2013, Joshua made the air of engaging teenage girls in an online chat room. Man, that was dangerous. For which he was arrested and served six months in jail. And um, 2017, Joshua launched recoveryaddiction.com. He has also contributed articles about recovery to thefix.com and Recovery Today magazine and has developed and presented addiction lectures for churches, libraries, and other groups. Sober since early 2014, Joshua still lives in central Maine with his wife and two children. And again, welcome again, Joshua, and please, I know you've got a lot to tell us and a lot to share with our listeners.
3: Absolutely. I, uh, I think people truly don't recognize uh, what a hidden danger pornography addiction is in our society because, you know, if we won't talk about the fact that so many people are looking at pornography and we like to pretend that nobody looks at pornography, how are we ever going to talk about pornography addiction?
2: Right. That is so, so, so very true. That is so very true. And you know, you mentioned here that you were a, a pillar of your community. I mean, um, I mean, what happened? What, what what happened? Was this something that was going on all the time? And
3: yeah, I mean, I was I was a porn addict going back to being a a, a kid. Um, And my my addiction story is not that different than a lot of people's addiction stories, because about 90% of addicts, and this is what you can be a porn addict, sex addict, drug addict, alcoholic, whatever it is, uh, most addicts are self-soothing through their addictive behavior or their addictive substances because of some kind of trauma that happened to you. And with me, I I received uh, abuse. Uh, It was was physical, it was emotional, there was some sexual at the hands of a babysitter I had when I was a kid, when I was being taken care of by her, you know, it was was a kind of a, you know, very, very scary situation. So I developed coping skills and I developed survival skills that while they may be good survival skills for a five-year-old kid, are not good survival skills for a 35-year-old man. Um, And that's, you know, really what happened was I developed survival skills that were not effective. Um, And one of my coping skills was pornography. I discovered it when I was 11 years old. An older cousin of mine showed me a couple of uh, penthouse or hustler magazines. And I'll tell you, the day that I saw that for the first time, I knew I had discovered something special. I knew that I had found a, a... you know, just magic elixir that was going to take care of my stress. I found something that I knew, no matter what was happening in my life, could make me feel better. And I'll tell you, for people who sometimes say there is no such thing as porn addiction, about four years later, um, I was at a wedding, and it was the first time, probably about 15 years old, it was the first time that I ever got uh, completely drunk, and it was the exact same feeling. I felt like I discovered something completely special, something that was was going to answer my problems moving forward. So really, from being a, a young teenager, I was addicted to both pornography and alcohol. And like a lot of addicts out there, I was able to keep it very functional for a very long time. You know, I was able, I was a popular kid in high school. I, I was, I did well with my uh, studies. Um, and then when I was in my early twenties, I got a great job as a journalist at newspaper. Not a, not, you know, many years after that, I, I met my wife. Uh, we ended up having a couple of kids, bought a house. Everything looked like it was going great on the outside, but behind closed doors, I was self-medicating with alcohol And with pornography, and nobody really knew about it. You know, my wife and some of my family members knew about the alcohol, but nobody knew about the pornography. Um, Because that's, you know, that was what I used when nobody was around to, you know, escape to a fantasy world, to just forget that the real world existed, to just detach and tune everything out. Um, and, And with the stress in my life, that's what I felt like I had to do because I wasn't able to handle the stress in a healthy way. Now, let's fast forward to me being in my mid-30s. We're going back now to about 2008, 2009. Um, I decided to create a magazine here in central Maine. And um, I, despite the fact it was the worst economy that you or I had ever seen, it was an overnight success. And it absolutely exploded around here. And within the next couple of years, I created a major film festival. I ran for city council in my town and was successful. So I had really, you know, built myself up to be a pillar of the community. I was very much a uh, local celebrity. Just about everybody around here knew who I was, uh, but they didn't know that I was still hiding these addictions. And uh, probably come uh, late 2012, Um, our revenue started to slow down a lot coming into the magazine. We'd been around about four years at that point, and I think a lot of advertisers had realized that they could get more for their money if they advertised elsewhere. I think some people just didn't feel the need to uh, subscribe again. And the problem was I couldn't rein in our expenses as quickly as the money started disappearing. So I started kind of freaking out. I made the horrible, horrible decision, and this is where the whole story kind of turns. Uh, I made the horrible decision to pull myself off of my bipolar medication. Um, I had been taking pills for about 15 years, but I thought if I was going to save this magazine, I needed to be able to tap into the creative energy And to the manic side that I had before I got on the pills. And uh, when I did that, I didn't get to my manic side. I didn't get to my creative side. What happened was that the drinking increased by, you know, three, four times what it was. I was starting to drink in the morning before I left for work. I was, you know, every lunchtime I would go to the bar and have a couple um, I made sure that, you know, when the kids and my wife went to bed, I had actually made the move for the first time over to hard alcohol and was drinking tequila late at night. Um, and with the pornography was the same way. I'd look at it before I went off to work. Um, I didn't look at it very much at work because I was the boss and there was always somebody there. Uh, but I started looking at it even more when I was at home at night again after after the wife and kids went to bed. But I made the horrible decision uh, to make the jump into chat rooms, uh, video chat rooms. And after a couple uh, days of fooling around, I figured out how to get uh, women to take off their clothes, to act sexual, to do things to themselves and you know that i i would after they did that i'd take a couple of little screen captures kind of like trophies of of what i did and uh to prove to myself that i was still capable of you know doing things and 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 reaching goals cuz i was i was always, that, I was always a trophy man. guy You're still that you still yeah, that I was, exactly i was i was you know despite the fact that you know uh maybe my business wasn't going well and maybe my relationship with my wife and kids wasn't going well, I could still, you know, like you said, be the hunter. I could still set my eye on a goal and achieve it. And uh, so I I was doing this behavior and uh, really, you know, getting sick not not recognizing either just how sick i was getting you know i i was only getting two or three hours of sleep a night uh my uh hygiene was absolutely horrible and for the first time ever i started getting these memories hitting me like these repressed memories of stuff that happened to me when i was a kid and i had no idea what that was all about but this was happening all at the same time so it's kind of this perfect storm of you know just crap going on in my life and uh one morning uh march 20th 2014 the main state police showed up at my front door and they told me that they believed that one of the women that i talked to in a chat room was actually a teenage girl and i'm i was just like oh my god i can't believe that but i uh they had a search warrant i invited them in the house it only took them about 15 minutes to lay out their case to me, and there was really nothing I could say. They had me, Um, despite the fact that, you know, we can argue whether she looked like a kid or not. I I should have uh, shown better discretion, and unfortunately, I, you know, I – according to the law, exploited this girl. And in taking a couple of screen captures after I was done with her, I created underage pornography. So, uh, wow. I got, I got arrested that, I got arrested that day and they, they brought me to jail. Um, and we can, you know, get more into that as we move forward, but I just want to, you know, let everybody know who's listening now. Um, That uh, what I did, despite the fact I may not have known she was a teenager, I do know, just like we all do, that there are girls who are teenagers who look like they're in their mid-20s, and there are girls in their mid-20s who look like they're teenagers. And you can't just say, oh, "Oh, well, I didn't know. You know, you can't you can't do that. Uh, And I, you know, I really want to drive that point home. And I made this I don't blame I I got I was really sick by the time they came and arrested me. I knew that something had to change in my life, be it the drinking or the alcohol or the work. I, I just was not healthy. And I became not healthy because I decided to pull myself off of that medication. So I don't blame her. I don't blame the addiction. I don't blame anything except myself. I made that decision to pull myself off of that medication. And that's what led to me making that horrible decision to talk to her in that chat room. Um, you know, it was horrible. I talked to, to women of any age and, and, and did that to women of any age but especially bad because she was under 18 years old. So, I just want to, you know, get that out there that, you know, I'm 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 fully to blame for this. Um I don't I try not to minimize it, I try not to rationalize it. This was my fault. Um but it shows you even after 25 years of being a porn addict just how far it can actually go.
2: I have a question, uh uh Joshua yeah. because I've talked to uh, many people uh, in the course of uh doing this show and uh females um in particular that had some type of um abuse uh early on in their life and later on uh, they developed some type of an, an addiction do you associate uh your abuse that you had that that you mentioned earlier possibly to this uh addiction
3: I think, I think it I think it absolute I think that it absolutely had to do with it. Um in, in two ways. One, there was trauma at that babysitter's house. I mean, if I if if I wasn't, you know, getting hit or watching a kid getting hit or something uh sexually inappropriate happening, uh you know, it it was it was a really scary horrible place to be and I kind of just developed this whole coping These coping skills. And what I developed was the idea of just survive till tomorrow. You know, say what you have to say, do what you have to do, you know, lie, cheat, steal, whatever it takes. The most important thing is that you survive till tomorrow. And that was kind of always my go to mechanism. And then when I found this pornography and I found this alcohol, it was like I could take a break from that point of view. So I I know that. And I know that the, I believe that. You know, the reason that I developed a pornography addiction is because I was exposed to a lot of pornography and a lot of uh, uh, sexual inappropriateness at that house. Um, So I think that, you know, it was almost my – a pornography addiction was almost my way of taking control as a kid over what happened to me there. You know, now I was in control of it. I I didn't have to sit there and and, and watch things happen or I wasn't being forced to sit in front of, you know, movies that I probably shouldn't have seen as a four or five year old kid. So, yeah, I I think that that absolutely uh, the the, the trauma, the abuse uh, that absolutely contributed to my addictions. And then the addictions just went off the deep end when I got to a situation in my life that I couldn't handle. And uh, I, just briefly, uh, I mentioned that I started having these flashbacks because I had blocked everything that happened at that babysitter's house. But I found out later on, working with a therapist, that when my magazine was falling apart, when my life was falling apart, I, had, I started having those repressed memories because I was that scared for the first time since I was a little kid. You know, I I didn't know what was going to happen to my employees. I didn't know what was going to happen to everything. I was scared to death and petrified when my business was falling apart. And that's why something in my brain kicked in and remembered all of those petrified and terrified memories of when I was a kid.
2: Well, it's funny how it is when you're under pressure and under stress. How and and when you have time. And, and you know, I think sometimes that's our worst enemy is when you have time. You sit there and you dwell on things, and, and those repressed memories come back on your surface all while you're trying to cope with what's going on today and trying to figure things out. And then you have a substance situation that's going on as well that you're leaning on, you know, so everything is all compounded all at once.
3: Right, and like I said, there was a lack of sleep, lack of hygiene, relationships with my wife and my kids were falling apart because of how I was acting. And, uh, you know, one of my therapists said, you know, you, you have what we call the perfect storm situation where just everything is falling apart at the same time.
2: Wow. Wow. Well, it seemed like the foundation, you know, is, was there. Um, and, you know, you could have had different coping mechanisms, but that's the one you chose based on your surroundings at the time. So let me ask you this one. When you, were, when you, when you say uh, porn addiction, is that only in terms of uh, uh, visual, uh, uh, renting movies, uh, downloading movies, you go into strip clubs? Uh, uh, what all is encompasses in that addiction
3: uh, when i was when I was young and, and uh you know in my thirteen fourteen years old, I found a video store that would rent videos to me, and this was still a good you know eight nine years before the internet was in everybody 's house so i would uh, I found a video store that would rent videos to me I found a corner store that would sell me beer and and penthouse magazines so that 's what it was back then once the internet kicked in when I was 21, 22, I never really went back to that stuff. Now, yeah, I've been to strip clubs here and there for bachelor parties and that kind of stuff, but that was never really my thing. My thing was to isolate, to be alone with the pornography, usually at my computer. And that's that's really how I did it all the way up through you know, getting arrested when You know, I, my, uh, my wife would go to bed, my kids would go to bed, I would pour myself a giant tumbler full of tequila and usually a little bit of Red Bull. Um, And then I'd take my laptop and go over and sit on the couch and, you know, begin the ritual of looking at pornography and The thing with addiction is, and and people who are addicts, it doesn't matter what kind of addict you are, know this, is that you have to keep ramping it up, and it has to become more and more. You know, two beers needs to be four beers, needs to be six beers, needs to be something besides beer. Um, people who are gambling addicts, they can, you know, they'll bet a thousand dollars at a hand of blackjack, but pretty soon they're betting ten because they need that thrill. And with me needing that, you know, thrill and needing that dopamine rush, because that's what all addicts are after—is that dopamine rush in the head—is that I made that I made that transition over to chat rooms because just being there. Uh, looking at women uh, that uh, couldn't interact, couldn't talk to me, couldn't react, that wasn't enough for me anymore. I actually needed to step it up and have somebody be able to interact with me because after 25 years, my addiction got to that point.
2: Wow. Now when all when all this thing was exposed, blew up, man. How did how did your wife and how did your wife handle this?
3: Um, uh, well, uh, I was, uh, arrest the police were at my house for about an hour, hour and a half, and, uh, they arrested me and brought me to the sheriff's office. And, uh, on the way to the, uh, station, um, the police officer, he let me sit in the front ca- front seat of his car. He knew I wasn't, you know, a threat or anything. Uh, he gave me my cell phone and I called my wife and said, listen, I need you to, uh, go to the ATM and get $500 because I, was just uh, confronted with the fact that I looked at some underage pornography online and I can explain it to you when you come get me, but I'll be at the sheriff's office. I need you to bail me out. And she was kind of, oh my God, okay. She was at work at the time. So she, we just hung up with each other. Um, my processing took about 30, 40 minutes. It wasn't that big of a deal. And uh, when they were done, they said, your wife is sitting out in the car. Um, she's ready to take you home. So I went out to the car and sat down, and I said to her, listen, don't say a word. Don't say anything. Um, just let me talk. Um, I'm not going to fight you on this. If you want a divorce, you've got it. I won't fight you about the house, the kids, the cars, anything. Um, this is way beyond anything you should ever expect. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm sorry, but I won't fight you on any of it. And she just looked at me and said, I have one question for you. I said, what's that? And she said, did it involve little kids? And I was like, oh, God, no, it involved a teenager who, who you know, uh, looked like she, you know, could have been an adult. And uh, she said, okay, well, we know you haven't been very healthy lately. Um, so let's just, you know, figure out what's going to happen here. Um, and by that, at that point, you know, we uh, we started to drive home and she, she, you know, she knew that it didn't involve any, you know, really twisted pedophilia or, or that kind of thing. So she was okay because she, I mean, she's not a prude. Um, you know, she's she's not one of these women who, uh, you know, absolutely hates pornography and, and hates sexuality. You know, she's a really, you know, open-minded good lady and she knew despite the fact she didn't know how much I looked at pornography she did know that I was drinking a hell of a lot and she did know that my my company was uh starting to fall apart and she could see that I just wasn't doing well and she you know by the fact that I was barely communicating with her and the kids so I have to give her a lot of credit I don't think if she she let me know right away she was on my side and that probably helped me uh, through those first few days uh, that were absolutely shocking, and then through today, which has been you know my rec- my recovery period because i uh, i 'll tell you Lamont, we came home from the sheriff's office and because because I was so well known around here, right after I was arrested, uh, the state police sent out a press release, letting all the media know what happened. So when I got back to my house only about an hour after I got to the jail um, there was already a TV news van in front of my house, um, and this was this was a huge, huge story in the news media in Maine over the next year. And even even you know, from the time I was uh, arrested, uh, and two years later, it was it took two years before I was um, sentenced. Every time I made a court appearance. Um, every time my lawyer filed some kind of motion or the DA filed some kind of motion, it was always a story in the newspaper, a lot of the times it was a story on TV. Um, so it was you know, it was a very hectic trying time, um, but my wife was behind me. She supported me hundred percent in going to rehab. Uh, she supported me hundred percent in going to get therapy and trying to, you know, turn my life around because I I looked at as really what else could I do? I, I lost my job. I I wasn't on the city council anymore. You know, everybody who knew me except for my very close friends and my very close family basically took a big step backward and, and abandoned me. Um, so, you know, what, what could I do except try to get better? And she was by my side the entire time, uh, you know, rooting me on essentially
2: we definitely got to applaud her. You know, I was reading one of your key points. It's never the woman's fault uh, when their partner becomes a porn addict. And, and you know, that's a heavy point. And I was just sitting here thinking about that because it, it could go both ways for a man and a woman. Uh, I could see a, a woman being, you know, the lovely, sensitive creatures that they are. And if the man is a porn addict, I could see a woman feeling like what's happening a- am I not enough you know what I mean
3: and that that is, is happens that happens on? a lot
2: right that's what I was just thinking I said there's something going on with me that's causing him or her you know you know to 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 seek this to be going off that you know I could see you know either one of them feel you know what I'm saying feeling less than in some kind of way
3: yeah oh ab- that happens all the time that's and it, it's uh that's one of the things that happens with porn addiction. When it comes to couples, is is that the partner is often just as affected, if not more affected, um, by this reveal that that her partner is a porn addict. You know, if you uh, if you find out that your husband or your boyfriend is a gambling addict, you don't think to yourself, "Oh my God, how did I cause this?" Or if you find out that you know he's suddenly using heroin. You know, you don't blame yourself. However, when it comes to you know, sex sometimes, addiction, sometimes, comes,
2: sometimes <laughs> hey, Joshua, well, sometimes they do. They say, man, I didn't throw that fool crazy Now I doing drugs. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 maybe there's an argument there. Pushed but, him out there. <laughs> but, but,
3: right, but what, what I'm saying is that, you know, with with porn addiction and, and sex addiction, you also get – the the partner now i was one of the kinds of partners who admitted that i had a problem immediately cuz i recognized i did now the law being involved certainly helped that but you know there's a lot of situations where the partner will say no i don't have a porn addiction and the woman starts to feel like she's crazy and that's that's what's called gaslighting is when you make your partner or you make somebody else feel like they're crazy for bringing up problems that are absolutely true and you just kind of turn around the conversation on them. And that's what happens a lot. And I'll tell you, when I, I put out a book uh, almost two years ago, which was kind of my memoir about what happened with my addiction. And I started up a website, like you mentioned at the top of the show, recoverypornaddict.com. And what I, I was so surprised because I thought that would just be the end of it. I was so surprised that right after the book came out that I started getting emails from somatics like I expected, but I got just as many emails from the girlfriends and from the wives who wanted help and wanted to know if it was their fault, who wanted to know what they were doing wrong or if they were to blame. And that's why I wrote a second book that's actually coming out here. Uh, at the beginning of december which is called he's a porn addict now what Uh, and i talk about what it's like for the partners because you know there's, there wasn't much information when I got arrested that I could read about what it's like to be a porn addict or what happened to me. There's nothing out there for the partners. So I know that my you know, my wife took it much better than 95% of women take it when they find absolutely. out. And I wanted to, I wanted absolutely. to create something for those 95% of women because they need to know. They need to absolutely know that they are not to blame for the porn addiction. I was a porn addict for 10 years before I ever met my wife. How could she have anything to do with it? And, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with your sex life. So many people make the mistake, uh, because pornography has, you know, naked people, because the, the end use of pornography and the end use of sex is basically the same thing. It's an orgasm. Because though there's so much similar... People And because recreational porn users are using it to get a sexual release. Well, the thing is, addicts don't use pornography for a sexual release. Addicts use pornography to escape. Addicts use pornography to get away from this world. Addicts are trying to get pleasure in their brain, not just in their genitals. Um, so that, that's the thing that a lot of people need to realize is that it's not just that addicts are super horny or addicts you know, really, really like sex. Uh, you know, addicts are very uh, Average people Every type of person is a porn addict I've met men, women, rich, poor oh, Every if, nationality
2: if, it, if, if it's Joshua, if it's not sex Not because they're super horny Is it just watching a bunch of different Females, anatomy They look and they act I mean, what else could it be?
3: Well, I, I can tell you what it was For me, it was control It was absolute control Because I had so much stress in my life trying to be a father, trying to be a husband. I had uh businesses that I was trying to run. I had all this stress. I felt I felt pulled in many directions and I felt like, you know, despite the fact that I was doing very well by most people just watching from the outside, I felt like I had no control in my life, much like I felt like I had no control when I was a little kid at that babysitter's house. And one of the things that I could do was sit down with pornography and have full control. I was able to escape this world, the real world that I had to live in every day. And you know what? If tonight I want to see you know, two girls dressed as cheerleaders do something, then I'll do that. If I want to see You know, Three Asian girls and a black guy together. I can find that. I could find whatever I wanted on the internet. And you know what none of those people ever said to me on the screen? They never said no. They never said they needed more from me. They never demanded I take out the trash. They never wanted to know if their paycheck was going to be late that week. They never wanted to know why I didn't call them. You know, because I wasn't being a good son. They never, they never demanded anything from me. I was able to control those people on the screen in a way that I couldn't control anybody else in my life. And it hit something. Looking at those people hit something in my brain that only alcohol also hit. It just made me relaxed. It just made me feel like I didn't have these problems. It was the greatest escape in the world for me. And unfortunately. It stops working. Like I said, I was pretty much just a beer drinker until it didn't work anymore. So I had to move to tequila, and I was, you know, I was fine just looking at videos for years and years until they didn't work anymore. I wasn't able to flick that little pleasure sensor in my mind and get that dopamine and then feel like I could still escape. So that's why I made the move over to actual chat rooms. Was because I, I almost needed the person to say no to me, and then I had to overcome that. Because that was where I got the high from. you know, I, I didn't go into chat rooms. I didn't like it if a girl just flashed her her boobs at me right away, because that wasn't a challenge. I wanted to find a right. girl or a woman who would tell me no." and then I found the thrill of spending two hours talking to her and figuring out how to get her through manipulation and and catfishing. And grooming, figuring out how to get her to do something she didn't want to do—that was where it was for me. It was all about control from from being a young kid. That's what uh, that's what addiction was for me. It was control.
2: And control seemed like you was having fun doing that too. Just uh, just, uh, <laughs> just going through the motion trying to get what you want at the end of the day.
3: It's it's not really about having fun though it's about feeling that that's the only way you can maintain. You know, you don't see you know, you don't see alcoholics really having a lot of fun. You don't see heroin addicts really having a lot of fun. They had fun in the beginning when they first started using their substance because it made them feel good. It made them feel better than right. they did. But then they have to keep using. It's like I mentioned the gambling addict who now has to bet the house or bet his car or bet his kid's you know, college fund to get that same feeling that they used to get of pleasure uh, engaging in the in their activity. And, you know, like I said, at the end there, when I was talking to people in chat rooms, the, those, those little those screen captures I'd take of them, I didn't use those for, for sexual gratification. I, I knew how the Internet worked if I wanted that. Um, i wasn 't even really looking at your typical pornography anymore. I was doing everything I was doing was about control because control had just left my life, and that 's what the critical the real critical point of the addiction was for me was because I had no control and you know looking at it from the point of view of someone who recreationally uses pornography, it could seem like fun, uh, much like you know I, I like to go to a casino i, I don 't mind losing $50 or I love winning $50, but I'm not somebody who bets thousands, thousands of dollars because I don't have an addiction. And if you don't have an addiction to pornography, it's sometimes hard to understand, but it really doesn't have anything to do with naked body parts or sex or any of that stuff. It has to do with just trying to have a coping mechanism to fix something that's completely wrong. Addiction is a symptom of a bigger problem you know if you're a bald guy you can get a, you can get a wig but that doesn't mean you have hair it just means you're taking care of what it looks like on the outside you know i still had all these problems despite the fact that everything looked good on the outside i wasn't taking care of the real problem which was dealing with that trauma that happened when i was a kid this is how i dealt with it
2: That's- yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about. I know we, early on we associated uh, your abuse um, to the addiction that you've been dealing with over the years. How does uh, uh, any other person that becomes addicted to porn, are there any other ways that uh, someone could be addicted to porn that has not, you know, suffered some type of uh, abuse?
3: Well, I'll tell you. Um, as I mentioned, you look at all addictions across the board, or like the the top eight addictions. You're talking, you know, drugs, alcohol, food, gambling, you know, sex, porn. Uh, ninety ninety percent of all addicts have some kind of trauma. Now there are different levels. Like you, when you talk about alcoholism only 68% of alcoholics have trauma. When you're talking about something like uh, actual intercourse, sex addiction, it's about 98% of those people with, uh, with porn, it's about 94%. So it's almost always trauma-based. Sometimes there are other things that happen in people's lives that cause them to go down that road. Um, But it's almost, it's almost always trauma and, and I should actually say well, it's I not just saying. trauma because pe- people, have, people have traumatic things happen to them. That doesn't mean they become an addict. What it is is that it's unresolved trauma. Somebody did not process their trauma in a healthy way. They did not get beyond the trauma. That's really what it is. It's not just trauma. It's unresolved, unprocessed trauma that can lead to addiction.
2: What is betrayal trauma?
3: Betrayal trauma is what happens with the partner of the porn addict. You know, again, it's it's that feeling of, was I not enough? Did I do something wrong? Uh, why did he have to go look at these other women? Uh, it's the belief that you knew who your, your husband or your boyfriend was. You were in love with the guy. You were positive that you knew everything about him. And then you find this giant secret that he's actually been looking at other women that he you know has been engaging in activities that you probably cuz since most women have a uh, a much more negative outlook on pornography than men generally do you know you've got this guy who suddenly did this thing or you discovered he suddenly did this thing he's probably been doing it for a very long time and you are left not knowing who he is you're left not knowing what your relationship really is. You're, not, you're left not knowing what to do next. Can he be fixed? Do you want to stay with him? Should you stay with him? What's the future going to be like? All of this, this is the betrayal. You thought that this man was one thing, and he turned out to be something else. And that hits that's what hits women worse than anything else when it comes to to sex and pornography addiction is that they feel like suddenly they don't know the person that they are in the relationship with and they're left with 101 questions and that's really that's really the betrayal trauma aspect there.
2: So what should a woman do when she come home and she see it? I've been looking at a thousand different women with big boobs?
3: Well, the first thing that she needs to do is uh, decide for herself uh, if she wants to do anything about it. Um, There are a lot of women who will just kind of throw up their arms and be quiet about it, Um, and that's not necessarily healthy. If it bothers you, if she has no problem with it, then whatever, you know. Some wives hate their husbands who play golf. Some wives don't care if their husbands play golf. Um, if, same thing with pornography. Does she have a problem with it? If she has a problem with it, what is that problem? Is it that she feels like it's cheating? Is it that she's worried that you're comparing those people to you? Is that she's worried? Is she worried that you're going to start acting out? And meeting women outside of the marriage, is it that she thinks that what you're doing is against you know, God's word? She's got to really figure out what the issue is. And, and my first uh, uh, thing that I urge her to do is to either find a group of women online who have experienced something like this so she can find someone to talk to, um, or get a, an appointment with a therapist – Um, somebody who has some experience with betrayal trauma and preferably has some experience with addiction of one kind or another. doesn't necessarily need to be sex or porn addiction because again, most of the brain mechanisms with addiction are the same, but she needs to talk to somebody and figure out what it is she wants to do. A lot of women will just at that moment grab their stuff and leave. Um, And then they'll go back between (laughs) their tail, between their legs. And that's not the thing to do. You know, Figure out what it is you want. Do you want to stay married? So, what does that mean? Does that mean that he has to go and get help for his addiction? Does he even really have an addiction? You know, just because you caught him doesn't mean he has an addiction. My wife can come home and, you know, catch me eating Cheetos every day doesn't mean that I'm addicted to food. Um, So, you really need to figure out where things stand. And if you decide that the best thing for you is is to stay with him and to try to help him get through it, you're going to have to, number one, have him be the kind of guy who decides that he wants to get help and he wants to make things work. You know, you can go into couples therapy, but you also are going to want him to go to therapy as well. And as I mentioned earlier, you should go to therapy as well. A lot of therapy, a lot of talking things out, because if there's a hidden addiction in the house, Odds are there's not a lot of communication. Odds are there are other secrets there besides the addiction. Odds are that people aren't talking about their feelings and what they need out of the relationship. And that's the point where the woman then has to start to develop boundaries. And she can say to them, you know, you cannot look at pornography in our house. Or, you know, the first time I catch you doing this, I'm not going to sleep in the same bed with you for a month. You know, the next time you do this, I'm going to ask you to leave. So you have to decide, is pornography more important or is me being in this relationship with you important? And she then needs to also determine that she's going to uphold her boundaries because if you don't uphold your boundaries, they're just meaningless threats. Uh, it, it reminds me of the uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon where he like draws a line in the sand. Uh, or uh, uh, somebody, Sam, draws a line in the sand and dares Bugs Bunny to cross it, and he crosses it. Then he draws another line and dares him to cross it. Well, women cannot draw these lines and dare the man to cross it, and then not do anything when he when he does cross it. You know, if you want to be in a healthy relationship that is porn free, and he does not want to be in a relationship that is healthy and porn free, you may end up having to leave him. That's unfortunate, but you'll often find that once the man recognizes that you're serious, once he recognizes just how much the pornography has, and and, and discovering the pornography addiction has affected you, a lot of men will absolutely go along with the program because they'll realize that they're using it as a crutch. You know, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I thought all this pornography use, was because of the alcohol. I never recognized I really had a porn addiction until I sat down with some therapists, and we talked it out, and I realized I didn't just have one addiction. I had two, and so the guy may I, not even recognize Joshua, he has a how porn was, addiction. How
2: was, your, how was your sex life at home, if I may ask, while this was going on?
3: Yeah, I don't mind you asking at all, and and I'll tell you, it was, it was fine because, again – I wasn't seeking intimacy when I was looking at pornography. You know, I I wasn't seeking uh, the touch of a person when I was looking at the pornography. Oh. That may be what recreational, you know, porn users look for, but uh, right. a lot of people think that pornography completely, you know, pornography addiction, you know, completely kills your sex life. And it didn't for me. And while, while more than half of more than half of porn addicts do report that their sex life changes. Well, the thing is, just about every aspect of your life changes. Um, but a lot of people like me, there isn't much of a change in their sex life. That's one of the reasons my wife couldn't say, well, it's been two years since we've had sex, because it was never like that. You know, she didn't know anything was going on because – or, or she, I didn't give her any indication in the bedroom to believe that anything different was going on, Um it just didn't affect it like that for me, um, and that's one of those things that you the, know. The rumor, uh, the rumor,
2: uh, the rumor is that it would increase it, not decrease it.
3: That happens in some cases. Some cases it increases. Right. A lot of cases it decreases. A lot of cases it doesn't do anything. And that's what I'm saying. You cannot judge the frequency of your uh, intimate uh, sex life uh, and have that have any correlation to the porn addiction. That, that's one of the things that in my new book I try to share with women is that you know if you have had less sex, that may have nothing to do with the porn addiction. That may have to do with something else. If you're having more sex, that may not have to do with the porn addiction. That may have to do with something else. You cannot use that as a barometer to measure. Uh, don't confuse your sex life with the disease of addiction.
2: Joshua, I think we have a caller Let me see who this is You may have a question Three two three, seven, one, oh, You're on Oh um,
1: Okay
2: Okay Hello? So Yeah, I've seen People at both levels but... Uh-oh, maybe that wasn't for us Anyway, <laughs> call back if you have a question And Joshua, you know,
3: listen, thing, tell thing, us a little bit about your book, yeah huh? yeah, okay, well, like I said, this new book it's called he's a porn addict now what uh uh we've I'm one of the two writers of it. What we've done is that we've taken the sixty questions that most uh women who have just discovered their partner has a porn addict and answered them what we what I did was I teamed up with a uh, marriage and family therapist, so he could give the professional book uh, educational answer that he's experienced with his years of working with couples and that I give an answer based on my personal experience because what, what he was telling me and what my own therapist has told me is that a lot of times they'll be sitting with their their clients and their patients and whether it's it's drug addiction or or sex addiction or whatever and the client will say well you don't know how i really feel because you've never been an addict and it's true they haven't and then true. you know somebody like me Somebody like me, I like to help people, and I like to help people with this problem of porn addiction. But the reality is, I don't have a PhD. You know, I never went through you know, medical school to learn to deal with any of this. So I, I, I try not to give beyond telling people to go to a therapist. I try not to give too much, you know, medical advice because I don't have the schooling. But the, so what? What? But
2: that's the situa- But that's the situation, Joshua. People don't. I've had people tell me, that's what you said, you don't know how I feel. I, well, if I have never walked in your shoes and vice versa, you'll never know how that person feel. But you have actual experience to me, which is more valuable than something somebody read out of a book.
3: Well, true, but they also understand how the mind works better. And I have my personal experience, but I've met probably by this point hundreds of porn addicts, and we all have different stories. So I think that this this book does something that no other book does. It takes that professional's point of view, and it takes that first-person addict point of view and brings them together. And I think what we do here is we answer questions for the partners, for the ladies, uh, better than they would get if they just talked to their friends or they just talked to their therapist or they just talked to an addict. This hopefully gives them – a, a bigger picture than any other resource that's out there. And that's what we were really going for was to be the best resource for the woman who just discovers, oh my God, this guy's been looking at pornography and I had no idea.
2: Joshua, do we have any female porn addicts out there?
3: Uh, yeah, actually females are one of the top four groups of uh, porn addicted uh people who are growing with porn addiction and there are different theories as to why right now, uh, in society, uh, 80%, 80% of men under the age of 30 look at pornography at least once a month. Right now, that number for women is about 45% uh, in that younger age group. And it's higher than it ever has been. And I think the answer is obvious why it's because of the internet, you know, back in the day, these adult theaters, these adult bookstores, they really catered to men because men were the people who were their customers. You know, It was strange for a woman to go into a place like that. Uh, women didn't feel comfortable going into places like that. But women have needs and women have desires just like men, and the Internet has made it so they can go find things um, that, that, that do it for them. In a way that they wouldn't have done before. They never would have gone to an adult theater. They never would have gone to a sex toy show or, uh, store or something like that. But they can take care of all their needs through the internet. So, you know, I you're seeing right now when it comes to uh, women that um, it's something like six percent of all women uh, are porn addicts out there, um, where the number for men is around 16 to 18% when you you look at the different studies. So it it is only about one-third to one-quarter, as it is for men, but the reports of porn addiction among women are growing very fast. And it wouldn't surprise me if given another one or two generations, if we don't take care of this and if we don't start addressing pornography as an issue and and a health concern the way that addiction should be, it wouldn't surprise me if it caught up and, and got to be even between men and women.
2: I told you, you guys shouldn't have let him vote.
3: Yeah, well, you know, hey, it's. Uh,
2: <laughs> I wasn't.
3: I I wasn't around then,
2: and I'll I'll, I'll just
3: I'll just be uh, I'll I'll let it at that.
2: No, I I had to bring up that question about about the women, man, because you know we have a lot of female listeners too, and and. No, um, and I and, and for them it's even
3: more shameful. That's that's the sad thing is, you know, when I was when I went to my uh, rehab. For, for porn addiction, there was like 11 men in the program and there were two women. And it was interesting because over the several weeks that we were there, suddenly some of the women who were in the alcohol program or some of the women who were in the eating disorder program, we were very open and willing to talk about our, our porn and our sex addictions. Uh, we started getting more and more of them to talk about it. And it was very much like my, my experience when I was in jail. Uh, When I was in – people knew why I was in jail, what I had done and why I was there. I started to get a lot of men who came to me and wanted to talk about the porn problems or the sex problems in their life. And despite the fact that they were there and they were in jail with me because of drug problems, they were in jail with me because of theft or robbery, they were in jail because they slapped their girlfriends or wives around, they were more embarrassed – by the fact that they had sex issues or they had porn issues. And they didn't want to talk about that first, much like I talked about my my, uh, alcoholism first. I didn't think I had a problem with porn. I just thought it was alcohol. Once people start talking about this stuff, it becomes wide open and when we'd have our nightly meetings of sex addicts anonymous at the rehab at first when it was only two women there by the time that i left about 2 months later we had eight or nine women at the meetings because they recognized you know they were drinking because they felt shamed that they had you know sex addiction issues or they felt shamed that you know they were once a uh, prostitute um, because that was the only way that they could put money on their table, and they, you know, use sex as a uh, as a as a tool in their life. Um, and, and, and felt that great shame from it because what happens with addiction especially with sex and porn is that people carry around a great amount of embarrassment and a great amount of shame that's one of the reasons we don't talk about it is because it seems so shameful people feel ashamed just looking at pornography forget you have an addiction forget you have a disease that's attached to it people are ashamed to admit they look at pornography even though the vast majority of people do and uh if we, Like I said earlier, if we can't just talk about the fact that we look at porn, how are we ever going to talk about the fact that pornography addiction is a growing problem in this country?
2: That's so very true, but I think also that um, just about all people that have been abused in some situation uh, have dealt with some form of shame.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's
2: that's why it's so hard for them to talk about it and, and deal with it.
3: Shame is a major part of existing trauma, too. You know, sadness, shame, embarrassment. You know, there are all of these negative emotions that are so tightly wound. That's why a lot of us with our traumas, like I did, you know, I kind of put it to the back of my mind. And it was always there, but I didn't really deal with it because you know it was just it was too heavy it was too much to deal with um that that's why we do that kind of stuff you know our our brain is wonderful at protecting us our brain is wonderful at forgetting the stuff that it doesn't want to remember um and remembering not the good mention, stuff and even making
2: not not to mention society is not your friend
3: absolutely Absolute Society is looking to take you down. I mean, look at the look at the cesspool that Facebook has turned into. Yes, it's it's people waiting there to take you down. You know, that's and that's and and people know about that. How are you going to go? How is anybody going to go on Facebook and talk about a shameful thing when they know that a bunch of keyboard warriors are just going to attack them? How are they going to seek help? It, it, it's really hard for them to do that that way. That's why you have right. to find these therapists. You have to find these groups online that are dedicated to this because the only way you're going to start to get better as a as an addict. And one of the things that I tell the women who you know, decide to stay with their partner and, and try to create an environment for him is, number one, You can't judge him and you can't make him feel shamed. Whatever it was he was looking at, you know, you may find that gross, but you can't judge him for what he was looking at. And number two, you have to make it safe. You have to make them feel like they're not going to be attacked. You have to make them know that they can talk about this stuff. You have to make them know that you're not going to run out on them if they say the wrong word. You know, people
2: will not begin to to
3: deal with trauma that way.
2: I don't want to cut you off, man, but we're down to the last minute, man. The time flies when you're having a great, great, great time. But listen, tell everybody quickly where they can go get your book.
3: Come check me out, recoveringpornaddict.com. That's recoveringpornaddict.com. I've got all kinds of help there for people.
2: And I certainly appreciate you, Josh. I've definitely got to have you back because i got some uh, hundred more questions now, man, but time didn't permit. So we're going to have you come back. Probably next month or so when your book is released, so we can talk about that some more. And thank you so much for joining us.
3: Look forward to that. Thanks a lot, Lamont.
2: All right. Everybody, Mr. Joshua Shea, go check out his book. Let everybody know that you heard it right here on Canada Play a Play. We'll be back next week, same time. You know who this is, Mr. Lamont Patterson. The show will be available everywhere, everywhere in the next two minutes, so you can't say you didn't get it somewhere, you know, ask your mama, ask your daddy, ask your friend, ask somebody across the street, but go get it.